from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. We are in John 6 this morning, so turn there. We'll be in verse 22 in just a moment. And as you turn there, let me ask you a question to think about. Because this is centered around bread and food, what is the best meal you have ever eaten? All right. Now, I know we could probably go around and take testimony on that because we are a Baptist. So I will just tell you mine. My, my best meal that I've ever had, I had in Charleston a few years ago. It was at a place called Magnolia's. Now, if you ever go to Charleston and you leave and you haven't had some of the best food in your life, it is your own fault. <laughs> All right. They got some of the best restaurants I have ever been to. But we went to Magnolia's. We had a dinner reservation. We went there for dinner and had a Parmesan-encrusted flounder, which was just phenomenal. But I saw that they had brunch. And so I was like, all right, we've got to come back here for brunch. And so that Sunday was the day that we were leaving. We got up. We went to the Huguenot Church in in Charleston, which was unique. That's French Protestants. Uh, uh, It was an interesting service, but we enjoyed that. And then we went over there and we had brunch. And this this is what I had. All right. This, This was my best meal. Okay. It was country fried steak. But it wasn't cube steak. It was actually a piece of steak fried. I I, I don't know how they did that. It was just amazing. Uh, White stone ground cheddar grits, two eggs over medium, some gravy and buttermilk biscuits. Let's pray and see how quickly we can get to Charleston. Um, (laughs) But it was good. I mean, if let's see. So this would have been eight years ago. If I can describe the meal for you eight years later... (laughs) You, you know it was good, right? And we, y'all have had one of those meals too that you just, it, it was phenomenal. Now here's my point. As good as that meal was eight years ago, all the nutrients have wore out, all right? <laughs> that, that meal is still not sustaining me today. It is still not providing the sustenance I need. I had to go eat again. And I tell you what, driving home and having to stop at a fast food restaurant after eating that for brunch, it was a major disappointment. But you had to eat. It, 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 was, it was gone. The food was gone. We understand that. You eat, you get hungry, you eat again. It does what it's supposed to do, but then you have to eat one more time. When we come to John 6, Jesus, once again, is going to to use a physical need that we can all relate to, to teach a spiritual truth. And He's going to do it with bread. He's going to lead the people to the point where they can hear. Because what you're going to notice when we start reading, it's going to take several verses for the people to be able to hear Jesus' supremely majestic statement of, I am the bread of life. They had to be led there to understand it. And Jesus is going to teach them, and teach us this morning, I, I pray, a profound spiritual truth. So we're going to read verse 22 all the way down to verse 59. And as we read that, I know it's an extended section, but the the reading of Scripture is critically important. But as we read that, I want you just to kind of, I want you to do one thing. I want you to listen to the reoccurring themes. One of the things we talked about with John is he uses a lot of themes over and over and over again. Notice the confusion on the part of the crowd. This is not the first time someone has been confused. 
Notice, again, the physical reality to teach a spiritual truth. Notice the opposition. Note the truly, truly statements. There's, I think, a 25, 26 in John, four of them are in these verses. And at the same time, notice, and this is very subtle. John does this very subtly. Notice that as Jesus speaks, He's issuing an invitation for people to come. All of that is contained in these verses. So let's read God's Word beginning in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with His disciples, but that His disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord gave thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found Him on the other side of the sea, they said to Him, "Um, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And that I am, excuse me, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, I live because of the Father so feeds on me. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Long, extended discourse there as Jesus is teaching us. It is, as you're going through the Gospel of John, there's seven discourses. We've encountered three. Nicodemus, the woman at the well, the chapter 5 on his authority, and this is the fourth as he is teaching here on the bread of life. So just, I want you to notice three truths this morning. We're going to spend the most time on the first, and it's this. Jesus is our sustenance. When he says, I am the bread of life, he is saying he is our sustenance. Once again, John sets the stage. It is the day after the feeding of the 5,000 just men on the other side of the sea. Remember, we said last week you can easily get to 10, 11,000 without having to do really bizarre math. It's, it's easy to get to that number. So it's, it's, it's the day after. And the day after, because it was late, the people are up, they're looking around, and they think, all right, there's a lake. Jesus was over here on the east side. His disciples left. Jesus didn't leave, so he should be over here. So they go and they start to look for him. They can't find him. They get on the lake. They're looking for him. They're, they're searching. Where is Jesus? They knew his disciples went to Capernaum, so they get in the boat and they decide, all right, let's go over there to see if he followed his disciples. They have no idea how he would have gotten there. There was no boat, so how did he get there? Oh, we know. He walked on the water in the evening, got in the boat with the disciples. They were there. So they search and they search and they find Jesus. And when they find Jesus, they ask, again, they ask a question that we would ask, right? They, they, they get over there, they find him, and they just say, um, when did you get here? Right? We've all asked that question, right? Somebody arrives before you and you're like, oh, when did you get here? It, it's a simple question. You, ju you just want some facts. You just want some information. They're curious. How did Jesus, who didn't have a boat, get over here? Now, before Jesus answers, we've got to remember what Jesus said at the end of John chapter 2. This, that's an important verse that comes up over and over and over and over. It says, Jesus did not entrust himself to any men because he knew the hearts of men. Jesus knows what is in people's hearts. So he can look through what we think is just a basic question. Hey, when did you get here? Jesus knows what they're really asking. And he looks at them and he says, look, I know why you're seeking me. I know why all this morning you've been trying to find me. And it's a scathing indictment on the people, right? Because he looks at them and says, look, you're looking for me because yesterday you ate your fill. Subsistence area. They would eat as much food as they had during the day, but during the day, if that food ran out, that was it. 
They would have to wait till the next day. But yesterday on that hillside, they ate as much as they want. They were full. The other gospel writers we saw, they were satisfied. You know that feeling, right? You know that pushback from the table satisfied feeling, right? They were satisfied. What has happened between the satisfaction and the next day? Right? This is not a deep theological question. They ate last night. They went to bed. They slept. It's the next day. What has happened? They're hungry. They're hungry. Hey, this guy fed us yesterday. Let's go find him again so that we can eat our fill one more time. And Jesus says that. Look, you, didn't, you saw the sign, but you didn't see the sign. You're here. You are filled. You want to eat again. You want another sign that just fills your bellies. There's no faith in the people right now. Right? Because Jesus says to them, look, you saw the sign. They're not even looking to come see another sign that this might be leading us to the Messiah or something. I mean, faith based on a miracle isn't great faith, but at least it's something. There's nothing here in them. They just want to be fed. Now, on a very basic level, we can kind of sympathize in that it would be great to have a Jesus with us who can just perform the miracles and the signs that we want Him to perform to make our life easier. That's not faith. It's not saving faith. It's just we want our life to be easier. It really is having Jesus like a genie in the bottle. That's what they want. Now, this is the really, I guess, troubling part of, of what Jesus says to him. Because he says right there, verse 26, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs. And you, and you read that verse and you go, but they did. Right? They were following Jesus because He was continually performing signs. They kept seeing the signs. Now, there is a difference between seeing and seeing. Because they can see what Jesus did. They can see Jesus healed and lame. They can see Jesus... By the way, we sung in the song, Bless the Bread. He didn't bless it. He thanked God for the bread. Just a small thing. If you, Anyway, we'll move on. They could see Him give thanks for the bread, pass it out. They, could, they can see, but they can't see any more. They can't see that these are signs pushing them to to a deeper understanding of Jesus. They're missing it. For them, all the signs are a dopamine high. Y'all know what a dopamine high is, right? It, it is that it, it's your basically your pleasure receptors. That something happens that makes you feel good. And it can be anything as the smell of bread in an oven. That makes you feel that releases, man, that, that feels good. It smells good. It makes you feel good. Right? Right now, there's a lot of studies going. What, what happens to people who are on social media all the time checking to see if they get one more like, one more like, one more like? It's like, all right, I got another like, and then they want to get another like, and then they want to get another like. It's, it's that ever-increasing desire for pleasure. That's all that they have. Just an ever-increasing desire of, of, of pleasure. That's what they want Jesus to provide. That's what a lot of people today want Jesus to provide, right? They, they want the parts of Jesus that makes them feel good. They like the part of Jesus that, that made them feel good when He healed their sick. 
They like the part of Jesus when it made them feel good when their stomachs were full. But they don't want to go any farther than that. They don't want to go then, okay, now then, if Jesus can do that and He can perform those signs, He must be the Messiah. And if He is the Messiah, then He has come from God. And I need to obey Him. Right? Even today, people still look and view Jesus that way. Yeah, He was a, he was a good teacher. I'll, I'll take some of His good teachings. It, it makes us feel good that Jesus says, love one another. I, I like that part. I'll take that part of Jesus. I like the part where Jesus says, take care of the widows and the orphans. Right? I, 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 I like that part of Jesus. What about the part of Jesus that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You only come to the Father through me. Well, I'm not sure I like that part of Jesus. So they want the parts that make them feel good, that make them feel satisfied. But they don't want Jesus. And that's what he's calling his their attention to. Look, you, 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 just, you just like the tricks. That's all you can see. They're, they're tricks, and you're, you're enjoying that. And he, he's, he's saying to them, look, if all you're looking for, verse 27, is, is food that perishes, you, you're never going to, to be satisfied. It's never going to sustain you. Now, in this in the specific context here, it is physically food. At the same time, it can be any materialistic or idealistic pursuit. Whatever it is, the work being done will perish. If all they're looking for is, is food, then it's going to perish. It's, it's going to not move them any farther. And the same thing is, is true today. Any satisfaction that we're looking for outside of Christ, is never going to satisfy. It's never going to provide us the sustenance that we need day by day to continue to live. And Jesus is, is bringing this up to them. Right? You're, you're, you're working for food that's going to perish. And so they latch on to the word works. Right? What, what, what are the works of God? What, what, what must we do? Say, oh, they're, oh, they're focused on works again. How, what can I do to make myself acceptable to God? That, that's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, read that sentence again. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Do you know what, that's, what that says? It, it says that they believe that they have the power within themselves to do what God has required. That they can, they can make God happy. They can do all that, right? Again, you see this today. People try to work their way into heaven. People believe that there's absolutely no doubt that they themselves have the inherent ability to do what God wants them to do. I've got all the strength and power. I, I, I can do it. And, and, and that's what they're saying. Now let's just let's put ourselves in their shoes for just a minute. They know the works of God, do they not? They have the Old Testament. They should have been in synagogue. They should have been raised up. They would have heard the Ten Commandments. So let's, let's just limit the works of God down to ten statements of obedience to the Ten Commandments. How are they doing on following the Ten Commandments? 
Let me ask you this. How, how are you doing on following the Ten Commandments? Right? I, I don't know about you, but I've broke all ten. Have y'all? And before you say no, think about it. You have. Every one of us. We can't obey the ten. Well, what if we eliminate, what if we pare down the ten to the two? Right? Like Jesus did. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor like yourself. How are we doing on that? Well, probably not too well, are we? <laughs> right? They, they still want to do works. They're hoping that their works will sustain them and make them acceptable to God. And God says, Jesus says, it's, it's not. It's not going to work. Spoiler alert, that's why Jesus is here. Because <laughs> it doesn't work. And so Jesus takes them, and look at what He does. They say, what works must we do? And then Jesus takes it from works plural to works singular. This is the work of God. I've done all these signs so that you will believe in Me. Be believe in Me. Believe in Me, the one He told us earlier, that God the Father has set His seal upon. To, to set a seal upon in the ancient times meant to authenticate the reliability of a document. Right? We, we don't do that anymore. Today, uh, uh, our, our seals are an uh, envelope that's been licked on the back and stuck. Right? Or, or if somebody's really fancy and they send you a, gold, a Hallmark gold crown store with a little stamp on the back. They even do that anymore? You know, a little seal on the back? That, that, that's about it. It meant that the document was genuine and everything that was inside the document was reliable and had authority attached to it. Jesus says, look, God the Father has set His seal upon me, so what I am telling you is authoritative and reliable and the work, not the works, the work is for you to simply believe in Me. Believe in Me, the One who God has sent. And they're, they're struggling with this. They're, they're, they're struggling. They, they can't understand it. They still want to do something. It's kind of insulting when you think about it. Jesus, you, you've come down from heaven to do what we can't, but what can we do? What, what, can, what can we do to make God accept it? What, what can we do? What, what can we perform? What works of God can we do? Imagine inviting somebody over to your house for dinner and, and you decide that you're going to, to make a steak dinner, right? You go to the store, you get a, a nice ribeye, you, you go get some of those like five-pound baked potatoes, you, you know, and, and you have a salad and you have a cheesecake for dessert. You have this incredible dinner and you invite somebody over. I'm free. Um, it is my birthday, right? You sit down, you eat, and your guests get up and they look at you and they say, what do I owe you for the meal? Now, I know in today's economy, you might actually answer that question. <laughs> um, but typically, we would not, right? I mean, just the, the, the question is kind of insulting. I've done all this for you. I've prepared this meal for you. And you ask me, how much it cost? 
And then can you imagine, again, the economy right now is killing my analogy, but, but they walk out the door and they leave 40 bucks for their meal. You'd be offended. You absolutely would be offended. Here's the Son of God, sent by God the Father, <laughs> to come down, take on human flesh, to die on the cross for their sins, and they're looking at Jesus going, what do you want us to do? Surely you can't do it. But again, are, are we any different? Are, are, are we any different looking at Jesus going, well, what do you want us to do? Now, again, I'm not talking about the works that God has given us to do that, pro that prove our faith. The question here is the works that people want to do to have a saving faith or to make themselves acceptable to God. And the answer is nothing, yet we try. We try in vain to do that. When Jesus is looking at them and saying, look, believe in me. Just believe in me. And at this point, you're, you're reading this and you're going, man, I, I hope that they're going to respond and say, we believe in you because that's incredible. But they look at Jesus and they say, hey, hey Jesus, we want another dopamine high, so what work are you going to do? you got to ask yourself at this point, how many miracles is enough? John doesn't record them all. They're following Jesus because he's doing miracle after miracle after miracle. He just fed 9, 10, 11,000 people, and they look at Jesus, talking about audacity, they look at Jesus and go, that's great. What are you going to do so that we can believe? If this doesn't prove that patience is a spiritual gift, I don't know what is because Jesus doesn't smack them. Right? Because in one respect, we can almost sympathize with Jesus because in one respect, we've all looked at somebody at some time in our life and said, well, what more do you want me to do? Jesus, looking at what, what more do you want me to do? And so what do they do? They decide that they're going to go back and they're going to go back to Moses. Again, this exalted view of Moses. You go to Exodus 16 to read the entire story. But they're going back and they say, hey, remember our fathers? They ate manna in the wilderness. As it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now what they have done is they have misattributed the miracle. They're saying that the miracle came from Moses. Right? They're in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. They're grumbling because they're, by, they're in Egypt. I mean, you know. They actually say, you know, we, we could go back to the good life. We, we could sit by the meat pots and, and we ate bread till we were full. I mean, yeah, we were in slavery, but hey, we had food. So the people are looking at Jesus and going, Moses provided for us manna. Right? Remember the story that go out in the morning and it would be on the ground. And it's called manna because it literally means, what is it? And a bunch of hungry people in the middle of the desert decided that what is it is better than what it isn't. And so they picked up the manna and they would eat it. And the people here are going to Jesus, hey, that was pretty cool that you did one trick, but can you do another day after day, day after day, just like Moses did? And Jesus looks at them and says, look, 
It was not Moses. It, it, it wasn't Moses. Do you really think that Moses got up every day and sprinkled out the manna on the desert for you to pick up? It wasn't Moses. Who was it? It was God. God was the one who gave them the bread. And so Jesus here is leading them to understand that, that, that it was God who did it, and He provided for their physical needs, but there is a true bread. Look at what He says. And He prefaces it, Truly, truly, say to you, it was not Moses who gave them bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. There it is. They were satisfied. Their sustenance was met until the next day, and then they needed it the next day, then they needed it the next day. But there is a true bread that comes down from heaven that gives you life and provides the sustenance that you need every single day. And it is the one who comes down from heaven. And I can imagine Jesus going, who's that? It's me. It's the one who comes down from heaven. Right here. And at this point, Jesus has got them. He says, there's a bread that's going to continue to give you life. And just like the woman at the well who looks at Jesus and says, sir, give me this water, they look at Jesus and say, sir, give us this bread always. Again, they don't understand. They're thinking it's physical bread, right? I, I guess, you know, it'll be something like Moses. They'll get up, go outside, and there's bread. So Jesus looks at him, and, and here it is, verse 35. I am the bread of life. The true bread that you need to give you life, I am that bread. I am that bread. Now this is the first of seven I am statements that we will encounter. And they serve two distinct points. One is an absolute declaration of His deity. The second is, it provides a description of who Jesus is. He is the bread of life. I am the one that has come down from heaven. So that if you come to me, there's the invitation. If you come to me, you will never hunger. And if you believe in me, you shall never thirst. I'm it. I am your sustenance. I am the one that is going to give you life. All you need to do is come to me. Because while, yes, you need physical life, you need something more beyond physical life. You need sustenance that is going to sustain you here and now, but also in the life to come. Jesus says, look, you're trying to do the works of God. You're going to fail. Believe in me, and you have life. That's what you need to do. Just, just come to me. And as they come to him, what they're going to discover is that the spiritual life that they have is for here and now that they can live in it now. It's not just a future aspect. 
And for us today, that is that is really important. I don't know if it, I don't know if you pay attention to the news or not, because quite frankly, it's depressing. And who wants to? But if you watch the stories, and you kind of listen to beyond behind the story a little bit, what you're going to find out is one of the the, the lies that the world is trying to convince is that people by nature aren't spiritual or worshiping people. And, and, it, and it's just a lie. I mean, it, it, it's just an absolute lie. Every person who has ever lived is spiritual. Every person who ever lives worships. To so the crowd right here, they're trying to worship this. What works must we do? What are they worshiping? Themselves. They're, they're worshiping themselves. I, I can do for God. Right? When we look around the world today, everybody is trying to satisfy their spiritual hunger. Watch the news, read the paper, and ask yourself the question what spiritual hunger are they trying to satisfy? It will help you see that humanity as a whole is trying to find something, they're trying to find that sustenance. Whether it actually is food, but what happens? You crave the next meal. Whether it's sports, you crave the next ring. Right? I've, you know, me and the whole New England Patriots, Tom Brady, now I'm playing in Tampa Bay. And the world is talking about the impending divorce of Tom Brady and his wife, Giselle. Why? Why? What's the backstory? One more ring. Tom wanted one more ring. He's worshiping that. Right? There's money. There's always another dollar to make. There's always another promotion. Atheism. Well, I'm just an atheist. Well, well, that's as much of a spiritual belief as theism. Politics. Politics has been elevated to worship today. Right? Jesus says, as long as you are trying to find your sustenance in these earthly realities, they will always leave you starving. You are never going to be sustained. You are never going to be satisfied. There's always going to be something else. Will it knock the hunger pains out of your system for a minute? Absolutely. Will the hunger pains come back? Absolutely. Jesus says the only way to get rid of those hunger pains and to experience the sustenance of life, not only here and now, but in the eternity to come, is to believe in me. And when you do, he says, with complete authority and no ambiguity, you will never hunger again. Now, just on a side, if you're hungering and longing for something, today, and you say, well, Gary, I'm a believer, I know Christ, then something has become misaligned. Because Jesus says, you will never hunger again. So Jesus says, He is our sustenance. Last two are quicker than the first one, I promise. Jesus is our security. 
Right? He says, I'm the sustenance. You come to me, you will never hunger again. Not only that, he says, I will never lose those who have come to me. I will lose nothing that he has given me. And security is important today, right? Sunday school, here it is, was asked, what's different about COVID? How's your life different about COVID? This one is really funny. For the past two weeks, I've been trying to find the really big bags of bird's eye frozen broccoli florets. Walmart didn't have them. Ingalls didn't have them. Food line didn't have them. Nobody had broccoli florets. I have no idea why. Right? But we're starting to realize and think through our, our the, the food situation is not what it used to be pre-COVID. Right? I mean, I eventually found it. Yay, we got broccoli. Right? But, but we want security. We want the security of going to the store, opening the freezer door, there's my broccoli. Going down the aisle, there's my peanut butter. Here's my eggs that don't cost $18 for a dozen. Right? We, we want that security. And Jesus looks at them because they still live in that subsistence lifestyle that they're thinking, but how am I going to be secure? And Jesus says, look, if you come to me, you're never going to hurst, hunger or thirst again because I've come to do the will of God. Even in the darkness of the world, Jesus is not going to be thwarted from accomplishing that will. So he's looking at them saying, you know this is true because I'm still going to be able to do what I've told you that I can do. As believers, we got to make sure we understand that. We live in dark times, but God's will will be accomplished. But also it means that as believers, that, that one day when we see Jesus, He's going to remember us. Right? He says here, look, on the last day, I will raise you up. You know what that means? It means as a believer, I have a reservation in heaven. If you're a believer, you have a reservation in heaven. You go to Revelation 19 and 20, and you read about Jesus looking through the Lamb's book of life, and you know what is not going to happen that day? He's not going to open the Lamb's book of life, and Greg's in my line of sight, so I'm going to pick on him. He's, going, he's not going to be going down through there going, Greg, 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 Greg. And Greg's in the back of the crowd going, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And Jesus going, Greg, 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 Greg. And Greg's back there waving with both arms, and Jesus going, huh, I think I lost you. We don't have to worry about that happening. We don't have to worry about Jesus looking out in the multitude or looking at the Lamb's Book of Life and not finding me or not finding Greg. We're going to be there. And Jesus tells us, look, you are secure for all eternity. And we're secure not because of who we are, not because of the works that we've done, but we're secure because of the work that Jesus did. And we are secure because of His sovereignty because he promises us that he will not lose any of us i got bad news for you you have to spend eternity with me in heaven <laughs> jesus ain't gonna lose me ha right and i get to spend eternity with you and that's something to look forward to but then jesus says he is our salvation. 
He says in verse 41, he says, look, come to me. I'm the bread of life. Come to me. And if you come to me, you will have eternal life. There's the invitation. Come to me. I've done the work. All you have to do is come to me. Now, I got to admit, he puts it in a really weird analogy that 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 maybe I wouldn't have, right? You got to feed on my flesh and drink my blood, and we're going, hmm, sounds a little strange. Even the Jews are going, um, so he wants us to eat his flesh? No, I mean, come on, we we know that. But when you eat, right, you eat that bread. And, and you chew it up and you swallow it, right? It permeates. The nutrients goes throughout your body. You completely and totally absorb the food. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, look, I need you to come to me and believe in me with all of your being and allow me to just permeate all of you. Because he says, you know, if you do this, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. It's like, we're going to be in Him, it says in verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in Him. There is this this relationship where we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Why? Because we have believed in the work that He has done. None of you eat. Today, y'all will go eat lunch. None of you will take a bite and turn around and spit the food out. First of all, you'd get kicked out of the restaurant. Secondly, it's ridiculous. Because if you don't swallow the food, you don't get the nutrients. You don't get to enjoy the benefits of the food. If you don't assimilate it into your body, it's pointless to eat. Jesus is saying, I have come to do the work so that you can be saved. You need to assimilate me into your life. Every aspect of your life is under my control. And as you abide in me under that control, I'm going to abide in you and lead you and guide you for all eternity. And understanding that Jesus is saying to them and to us, there is no middle ground. You believe in Jesus and the work that He has done, or you don't. There is no third option. To know about Jesus is not belief. To, to think Jesus is a good teacher is not belief. To think that Jesus provides some good moral advice is not belief. To think or to even understand how salvation works is not belief. Belief is affirming Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God who came to this earth to do the work that we could not do. And that is to make atonement for our sin. So that through His singular work, we might believe, and in our belief, we have life. And Jesus says, I have come to give you salvation. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it is a free invitation to come and receive the life He offers. And he says, when you do, what you're going to find is your spiritual hunger is sustained, not just for now, but for all eternity. And I will be the sustenance that you need so that you'll never hunger 
or thirst again. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.